right. Um, maybe workers, if you're able to have junior church in this building, maybe you should. It is pouring out right now. So I don't know if you're set up over there, but if not, maybe just go down to the foundations classroom would be good for today. All right. We have a lot of kids away. It's a holiday weekend, and so we maybe can manage over here. Turn to your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 1. Am I going to have to use the handheld? Oh, boy. All right. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 this morning, and uh, we're going to have a look at the Word of God. And I want to congratulate uh, Justin Boonstra, graduating high school this week. And I know there's been other graduates, but he, he cleaned house on the awards. I'm very proud of him. He did a great job and uh, took home all kinds of things and so graduated with honors. So praise the Lord for that. Also, we want to congratulate Adam and Rachel Carson. I got a text from Adam last night. He said, God is so good, we have a wee little girl. And so, praise the Lord for that. I asked him this morning, do you have a name? And he says his wife had not yet decided. And so, uh, we will know. Uh, Stuart, do you have a name yet? No, your sister had a baby. I don't know if you knew that. All right. So, us men, we're not that good with that kind of thing, are we? Gareth, do you know? You don't know either. Okay. So, when they, when they know, maybe they'll wave at us and tell us the name, and we can maybe know by the end of the service. And so, uh, but congratulations to Adam and Rachel. They're so excited about that. So, we praise the Lord. Well, let's look at Daniel chapter 1. By the way, we'll have an indoor service tonight. Is that okay? All right. It, it looks like it's not going to be a very nice day. We were supposed to be out in lawn chairs, but we'll be in air conditioning and we'll be dry. Okay. And we'll still sing the same songs and we'll just use guitars and banjos and we'll just enjoy uh, kind of a sing along tonight and then we'll have some preaching. And so you come and we'll be here at five o'clock. Daniel chapter one tonight. I like to preach with the Lord's help this morning. A message titled A Principled Life. A principled life. And I think if you are thinking about somebody in the Word of God that had a principled life, certainly Daniel jumps off the pages, doesn't he? And so uh, you're going to have to forgive me if I fade out sometimes because I talk with my hands. All right? See how that works? It doesn't work really well. So we're going to do our best to try to remember that today. But uh, usually I don't need a microphone. So we'll try my best to project my voice just in case. Daniel chapter 1, look at verse 1 with me. Daniel chapter 1 in verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Let me give you some background, if I can, on the history. We see a divided kingdom in Israel. The northern kingdom is divided into ten tribes, and the southern kingdom into two tribes. The northern kingdom never had a good king, always wicked kings. The southern tribes that we're talking about today, Judah being one of them, and Jerusalem was their home, we, we see that they would have a good king and then a bad king and a good king and a bad king. But because they had times of righteousness in their nation, God judged them a little differently than he did the north. How many of you know that judgment starts at the house of God? And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and he took away the children of Israel. The Bible says in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, small g, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish. But well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue 
of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nursing them three years that the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children in Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you so much for the time that we could worship your holy name today. Lord, I pray that, Lord, it was a sweet-smelling savor unto you, that you received it well. Lord, we are just feeble flesh doing our best, and I know you know that. But, Lord, I am also been exhorted today and encouraged and edified and helped by the time we sang and reminded that you are the Ancient of Days and that you are the great I Am. And, and Lord, that we can stand firmly upon that foundation which you have laid in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sent him to shed his blood for our sins. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know Christ, may they trust him today before it's eternally too late. Father, I pray that you would help us in this time in your word. I need your help, and I'm going to be a bit distracted with this microphone. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us, Lord, to, to focus in. May the Spirit of God speak to us and teach us. I surrender to you, and I acknowledge that I desperately need your help. And so, Father, we'll thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Israel's been carried off into captivity yet again. We see in the scriptures early on in the Bible that God promised that if, if Israel were to go astray, that he would judge them with a foreign nation of an unknown tongue. It's happened before and it will happen after this again, but in this period of history we find the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. It is believed that Daniel is just a young man probably about 14 years of age, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute when he's carried off and because of some of the language that is used, and not to mention that Daniel also survived all four empires, making him well into his 90s by the time the last king and their captivity would end. Israel has been besieged and ransacked, and not only were children of Israel taken back to Babylon, but the Bible says some of the spoils of the house of God, some of those things that they had been manufacturing and, and making for times of worship. And if you look back in the book of uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we'll find that they were things of silver and gold. I remember a year or two ago uh, during COVID preaching a message about some of those items. And I, I remember just a gold spoon being worth in today's value not over $9,000. Their silver charger being worth about $1,800 today in today's value. So there was great riches that were stored in the storehouses of the temple. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar would take those back to the plains of Shinar and he would offer them there to his God and put them in their storehouses. It was a time of great devastation, but the Bible also says, if you'll notice in verse 3, that the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. We see a phrase in verse 3 that we see often in the Bible, the children of Israel. The children of Israel. 
The word children there simply means of the lineage of or the offspring of. It doesn't necessarily mean a, the age of the child or an adolescent or a youth, but it's speaking about the offspring of. You're the children of Israel. But in verse 4, it becomes more specific. The Bible says, children in whom was no blemish. The word children there is the word yeled in the Hebrew. It means a youth of an adolescent age, a teenager. We know that the Babylonians' training program was for between the ages of 14 and 17. By the time they were 17 years old, a Babylonian would only enter into it voluntarily, but they tried to recruit the youth. They're after the children. I think we can draw a comparison today, can't we? We can see the state of our nation today, and if they cannot kill the child in the womb, they seek to destroy the child in their adolescence. I read a political cartoon just a, a few days ago, and, and there was a mom and a dad in the hospital, and they were giving birth to a child, and the child is born, and the doctor wraps that child in a, in a cloth, and he hands it over to the parents, this little baby, and the mom says, is it a boy or a girl? And the doctor says, we will let the kindergarten teacher decide that. But isn't it sad that that's the kind of society we live in today? That without parental consent, they are destroying our children. There was a pride march just a week ago where they said, we are here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. No longer is it in the shadows, but it is right in our face. And it is the very scourge of our nation. I'm not here to preach on pride today. I'm just setting up the, the exposition of this passage, if you will, for a moment. I'm going to give you an exposition, then I'm going to give you an exhortation. Those are my two points. There's 40 subpoints, but those are the two main ones. And I want you to notice that as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are carried off into captivity, they are not alone. The Bible says there are many children. And notice what he says in verse 4, children in whom was no blemish, and, 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 uh, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. He wanted a certain kind of child. It was a child that likely came from royal lineage or a child that came from a rich household in order to be able to have this kind of education by the time they were 14 or 15. Not only that, he says, I want a child that knows how to stand in the king's presence. They've been trained in etiquette. They knew how to be respectful to others. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar says, I want the very best of your children. That's who I seek to destroy. He wanted only the best. I want you to notice this morning some things that we can see in the scriptures that I pray and I hope that will help us to live a principled life. Think about it. In the midst of all that is going on and all that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to accomplish in the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see that they lived a principled life. They were able to stand for God in a perilous times. And friends, if like Brother Cody preached this morning, if we have any hope as a nation, we must learn how to stand for God in these perilous times. Notice, if you will, first of all, I want you to see in the Scriptures, in verses 1 through 7, we see that they experienced a changing world. Experienced a changing world. How many of you say this world is very different than the Canada you grew up in? The things that we thought just even a decade ago, that will never happen in Canada. Now you are shamed if you don't approve it. Now it has become the law, 
and you are breaking the law if you speak poorly about it. It's considered hate speech in our nation today to call out sin any longer. And so we see that there's a changing world all around us, and Daniel especially, and I'll just refer to him here on out, uh, that Daniel experienced a changing world. And notice in verse 4, we see some things that were changing. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar had a plan to expose them to their culture. He wanted them to learn the culture of the Chaldeans. Notice what it says at the end of verse 4. He says, he says, I want all these children with no blemish. They're well-favored. They're skillful. They're cunning in knowledge and understanding of science. And such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace. But look at this. Whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. That is not two different things. Or one thing that is two different things. They wanted them to learn the learning and the language. They wanted them to know the culture. They wanted to indoctrinate these children. Listen, as we look at this passage this morning, how many of you could agree with me? There's nothing new under the sun. Satan's plan has always been the same, and we just see it resurfacing over and over again throughout the generations that Daniel faced the very same thing many of us face today, that, that there's a culture that is attacking the things of God. And so he, he had a desire to expose them to the culture. But we see in verse 5, he had a desire to expedite their conversion. Notice what it says in verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nursing them three years, that the end thereof they might stand before the king. He was teaching them to totally rely on the king. Take away all the parental influence. Let me ask you, were Daniel's parents feeding him any longer? Were they providing his clothing any longer? Were they taking care of his needs? No, Daniel had been separated from his parents, and now the king was teaching him, rely upon me. He was trying to expedite his conversion. He knew that if he could get these children away from their parent. By the way, God did not give your children to the government. The Bible still says this about discipline. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. That's parental authority to discipline our children. It is mom and dad's job to raise our children. Oh, friend, our, our country's in trouble, but I'm, I'm going to say this. We are in no greater trouble than when we give authority of our children over to somebody else. We might be able to weather the storm, but our children are going to be stuck in that mire and that mud and that, the sin that, 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 that will destroy their lives. I'm scared to death of the public school education system. I'm scared to death of what the world thinks they can teach. You say, well, uh, you know, we, we ought not uh, be censoring things and we ought not be. Listen, you ought to censor what your kids see. You ought to put a blinder before their eyes. It's so sad and disgusting today what we see. Nebuchadnezzar knew that if he could just get Daniel away from his family that perhaps he had a chance to expedite his conversion. But I want you to see this in verse 7. He had a desire to erase their conscience. Look at verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, 
and to Hananiah of Shadrach and Mishael of Meshach and Azariah of Abednego. You'll notice that two of their names ended with the letters E-L, which stood for Elohim, and their name has to do with God. We see Mishael and Ananiah. We see the, the letters A-H, which has to do with Jehovah. And so all four of their names had to do with their relationship with God. And the name Daniel literally means God is my judge. He said, well, what does Belshazzar mean? The word Bel comes from Baal. And it means that Baal will protect Notice what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do as he is washing their brains, if you will. He's taking them away from their parental influences. He's putting them into this wicked society to learn their culture and their customs, to learn their learning and their language. And he's exposing them to their culture and he's expediting their conversion by saying, don't listen to your parents, listen to me and rely upon me and I will feed you and I will clothe you and I will take care of you and I will teach you for three years. But he says, we also need to change your name. I don't want you thinking for a moment that God is in control of your life. God will no longer be your judge, but has said, Baal will protect you. And you say, why did this take place? That they could all stand before this wicked king. It says in verse 8, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Well, I have this idea that Nebuchadnezzar had a three-year indoctrination program because he knew that's how long it would take. Our children are in trouble. Mom and Dad, we... We really have a responsibility to be constantly, constantly untangling them from the things of this world and impressing upon their heart the things of God, showing them Christ and his power and his love and his mercy and his grace and his compassion and his shed blood. Because in the world, it's gone absolutely crazy. What this dying world needs is Christ. How quickly can a mind and a heart change? So we see, first of all, they experienced a changing world, but I want you to notice, secondly, they exhibited a cunning wisdom. Look at verse 8 with me. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. In the next several verses, we will see unfold as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a plan to stay true to their God. Can I, can I just slow down for a moment and let's look at it verse by verse, if you will. They exhibited a cunning wisdom. First of all, we see Daniel's resolve. Daniel purposed in his heart. The word purpose means to set some things in place, to anchor them, to know where they are. Have you ever, have you ever set something down then you can't find it? You ever done that? And you know it was right where you left it, and somebody, somebody had to move it. You ever, you ever done that? You ever got to the point where you said, I'm, I'm going to have to start locking my stuff up. I'm going to have to put a padlock on that because my teenagers are taking my tools. and they're, we, did, we did that all the time. We, we'd get Dad's hammer and go down and build a treehouse, and then the hammer would be all rusty down at the treehouse for the summer. And when he was looking for it, hey, oh, I'm going to have to start putting locks on things. Things just keep, he says, isn't it interesting how a hammer gets up and walks away? 
You ever heard that one? Every dad has said it that ever lived. To set some things in order is to put a lock on it. When Daniel says, there are some things I'm going to purpose in my heart, he says, these are non-negotiable. Frank, can I say, you need, to, you need to decide what is negotiable and what is non-negotiable. You need to settle some things in your heart, and you need to purpose before God that there are some things that I will not give on. And by the way, Daniel gave on some things. He didn't give on anything that was spiritually minded. He did not give up his, his love for God, his belief in God. He, he never quit praying when they told him to pray. They would not bow down to that idol on the plane. They, they, they stood for some things. There were, he went ahead and learned the language. He says, that is not a deal breaker for me because later on we see that he's advising the king. He learned their science and their astrology. He learned all those things and became one of the wisest men in the land that he was an advisor to the king's. He was willing to give on some things that were not spiritually minded or life-changing, but he said, I'm going to purpose in my heart there are some things that will never change. It's unfortunate a lot of times churches slide with the culture. We need to purpose in our hearts some things. By the way, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I don't care what any other church preaches. The Word of God says that. Jesus Christ himself said that. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ was overshadowed, or Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and as a virgin conceived in her womb and brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ as a virgin-born son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. All those things that Brother Tony said this morning, hey, I believe that. That is our statement of faith, and we need to put a pin in it and put a lock upon it and say, I'm going to purpose some things in my heart. Too many churches today that look just like the world. Would to God that they'd come in here and find a people that are purposed about something. We see Daniel's resolve. We see Daniel's request in the second part of verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What was his request? I don't want to defile myself. Don't make me do these things that would cause dishonor to my God. I don't want the king's meat, and I will not drink the king's wine. I am separated unto God, and therefore, I will eat pulse. I'll just eat vegetables. That's what pulse is. So we see Daniel's request had a purpose that he would not defile himself. We see the provision in verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Hey, don't pervert that verse. It just means he had compassion on him. Isn't it interesting that when we purpose in our hearts something for God, God had already provided something to take care of his needs. The prince of the eunuchs had compassion towards Daniel. But then we see the prince in verse 10. He still, even though he has compassion, he has some reservations. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make my endanger, then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Well, Daniel didn't get anywhere with the prince. So he moves on to somebody else. Notice what it says in verse 11. We see Daniel's resolve and Daniel's request and now Daniel's reply. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah. 
He wasn't getting anywhere at the prince, and the prince was rightfully scared of the king, so he goes to this other fellow that had been set over them by the prince, and he says this in verse 11, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee and the countenance of thy children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. I want you to notice that today that of all the children of Israel, especially those children taken into this indoctrination program, Daniel never pushed his beliefs on all the others. He says there's four of us that want to stand. The rest, they want to take the king's meat. That's up to them. But you compare after 10 days how we look. I got to be honest, I feel like Daniel some days, and you'll see why. They exhibited a cutting wisdom, but notice they enjoyed a completing work. God completed his work in their life. Look at verse 15. The Bible says this, And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fair and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. The Bible says they just had pulse in verse 16, pulse is vegetables. How many of you feel like Daniel? All you eat is vegetables and you still appear fairer and fatter. That's me right there. I said to my wife last time reading this, I'm just like Daniel. I said, I could eat vegetables and gain weight. And there he is. He appeared fairer and fatter. Verse 16, then Melzar took away the portion of the meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. Notice, first of all, a reckoning of their faith. Daniel says, give me 10 days and see if our faith is true. I don't need meat. I don't need wine. We'll just, eat, we'll just go vegetarian for 10 days. We'll just eat the vegetables that we can grow out here a little bit. And we'll just, we'll just eat things that are undefiled before God. It's likely that the meat that the king was offering them had perhaps been offered unto idols and sacrifice. And therefore, it was unclean for the, for the children of Israel to eat. And of course, wine for these young men was, was considered wrong. And so they, they stayed away from those things and So we'll just have the vegetables. Give us 10 days. Can I I warn you about something? If you're going to step out in faith, there is a reckoning coming. You're going to have to answer for that faith one day. There was a test taking place, not just about Daniel's faith, but about Daniel's God. Would God show himself true? Daniel was putting God to the test and before all of the, the people of Babylon and, and God showed himself true at the reckoning of their faith. The Bible says their flesh was fairer and fatter than all the children which had eat the meat and drank the wine. We see a reckoning of their faith, but we see a reward for their faith. Look at verse 17. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I promise you I'll go quickly. I'm just introducing the message still. I'll give you the principles in a moment. I want to give you the exposition so we see what's going on here. Look, notice what it says in verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in three years, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king commanded or communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, therefore stood they before the king. 
And in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. That includes Babylonians, Chaldeans, all the rest. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. We see a reckoning of their faith, but we see a reward for their faith. First of all, an increase in intelligence. God blessed them with knowledge and wisdom and skill and understanding, the Bible says. But here's the important thing. Here's really where we want to get to with this message this morning. Not only did they have an increase in intelligence, they had an increase in influence. See, I want to change my nation. God used Daniel to change the king's heart. In chapter 2, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar decides that because no man can interpret his dreams, he's going to kill every wise man in the nation. But because Daniel had this insight from God, God spared them all. Listen, you want to have an influence? Can I, can I encourage you something this morning? Have a godly influence. Have a prayerful influence. The last several years, so many things have happened. We've had lockdowns. We've had parades. We've had all kinds. I mean, our world has been turned upside down. Listen, do you know, do you know what the, Brother Russo preached at our graduation? If you weren't here for our graduation, high school graduation, could I encourage you to go back and listen to the message? It was spot on, the best graduation message I've ever heard. We are to be salt and we are to be light. And he says, salt is only good when it rubs up with something. Begins to season it and change it. Listen, we need to have the right kind of influence. There are some that throughout this period have not come out looking very good. I've heard over and over again, you know, what about that idiot preacher out? I don't care for a moment if somebody in the world says idiot preacher because of something I said from the Word of God. But if they call me an idiot preacher because I was behaving poorly, that's a whole different thing. We need to have a testimony. We represent God. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And Daniel, you notice very meekly, went to the prince of the eunuchs, and the prince of the eunuchs said, but I'll lose my head. So he went to the master that the prince of the eunuchs had said over him to Melzar, and he says, Melzar, can we just try this for 10 days? If after 10 days it doesn't work, you can do whatever you want with us. But for 10 days, we'll eat only pulse. And by putting God to the test, God blessed them. He increased their intelligence, and he increased their influence. Let me ask you, if I were to say to you today, who was King Nebuchadnezzar's advisor? What is your answer? Daniel. Who was King Darius's advisor? The one that threw him into the lion's den. It was Daniel. Do you know what Darius says about Daniel? He was preferred above all the princes. Who was the advisor to King Cyrus, the Persian? It was Daniel. Why? Because he meekly and tenderly trusted in his God. And God raised him to a place of influence. I see some benefits sometimes in using a loud voice. But can I tell you this? The Lord controls the heart of the king. And we need to be a people of prayer and fall on our face before a holy God 
and learn to trust in him. Let me give you the principles and we'll be done. Number one, David, or Daniel, sorry, Daniel lived a promoted life. Turn, if you will, to chapter 2. We don't have time to read it. Our time is gone. Daniel lived a promoted life. Talk about the blessings, first of all. In chapter 19, I've already kind of shared a little bit with you that all the counselors were to try to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. None of them could. So Nebuchadnezzar called for all their heads. Kill them all. But Daniel says, I can do it. Tell me the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to tell you the dream. You'll just make something up. So Daniel went to God, and God gave him both the dream and the interpretation. And God used it to elevate Daniel to a place of influence, that God could work through that kingdom even though they were in the midst of a wicked and perverse society. Look at verse 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet. A little Jewish boy, 17, 18, 19 years old maybe, and the king of the world empire at that time is bowing down before him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods. And a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king that he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He lived a life of promotion. Daniel, secondly, this morning, lived a protected life. In Daniel chapter 6, we read the story of Darius setting up an idol, or sorry, uh, Darius making a proclamation that no man may pray or make a petition to any god except for him. And the penalty was that he'd be thrown into a den of lions. You know what happened, don't you? Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, and it was at the Uh, the angst or the hurt of the king. And he said to him, your God will take care of you, Daniel. The next morning after a sleepless night, the king ran down to that lion's den. He yelled in. He says, Daniel, are you alive? And Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. My God has shut the lion's mouth. He lived a protected life. For Daniel to be an advisor to the king and to live over 80, 90 years was a miracle in and of itself. But for him to spend a night in a den of hungry lions was the very hand of God upon him. Daniel lived a prosperous life. Notice in Daniel chapter 6, turn there very quickly, Daniel chapter 6 verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Tyrus the Persian. I don't, I don't believe the scripture there is talking about financially. But think about this. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, Daniel still found a way to prosper. You know, we get around our friends, and it's so easy to start complaining, isn't it? so easy to get angry about what's going on. And I, I believe there's a righteous indignation that could take place. But I, I'm going to be honest with you, complaining doesn't help. 
If we fall on our face before a holy God, maybe we'll learn how to prosper during this time. To see God do a great work. Listen, I believe it can happen. I, I don't remember a time where I've baptized so many over a three-month period. You say, whoa, 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 are you patting yourself on the not. I didn't do any of that. God saved those souls. I, I just have the privilege of getting to baptize them. God is still at work. And we can complain or we can trust God. And Daniel chose to trust God and he probably, I, I dare you to go home and read the book of Daniel and find when Daniel complained. No, Daniel prayed. Daniel lived a prosperous life. Daniel lived a prayerful life. A prayerful life. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, After the decree was handed down by the king, Daniel went back into his place and he knelt down as he did aforetime. Three times daily he would look out his window and he'd pray to the God of Israel. That was a pattern that was established in his life. And he says, just because the king says something doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking to my God. He lived a prayerful life. And Daniel lived a principled life. All throughout the, the book of Daniel, we see over and over again, Daniel did not allow his convictions to fade away. He stood for his God every chance he could and just trusted the Lord. Now let me say this. He said, but I have been trusting the Lord. And things just seem to get worse sometimes. Daniel's path is not necessarily your path. You will never go wrong trusting the Lord. But there were a lot of people that trusted the Lord that ended up burning at a stake, dying in a lion's den. I'm just saying, are your convictions strong enough that if it... If the Lord says, this is your path, it's, it's martyrdom, it's persecution, it's, it's, it's pain, it's suffering, it's woe. Are you willing to trust God anyway? Sometimes we feel like a persecuted people living how we do, don't we? Well, they're trying to shut the churches down. Listen, let, let me tell you something. Satan has been trying to close the church for 2,000 years. But the gates of hell shall not prevail. As long as it's the church of Jesus Christ, as long as he is the head of it, as long as he has preeminence, it will not fail. And when he comes to receive his church, I have to believe it, he'll still be here. And so we trust in him. Our path may not be the same as Daniel's, but I'll say this, you can trust in God. And we see from a life that was well-lived and a life that was lived on principle and a life that was lived through the word of God. And, and Daniel, listen, if you don't get anything else, get this. He purposed something. He said, there are some things that are non-negotiable. I'm not going to change. Listen, Canada does not need pseudo-Christians. They may need men and women of faith to stand boldly and firmly upon God's holy word. You know, there's a televangelist, and I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't listen to him. I, I, I cringe. Some of the things he says, you see sound bites, and you hear little parts of things come across your desk. And, and quite frankly, I believe he's a heretic. But there's one thing he does say at the beginning of his every message. He says, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. 
I believe. And he goes on and on. And he doesn't actually believe that, but he says he does. But I thought, man, if we could just get that, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I believe what it says. I'm going to stand upon it. We believe it's our only rule for faith and practice. There's a day where there's a reckoning coming, and that faith will be put to the test. What Canada needs is men and women of God. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you pray for Canada at this hour? Would you purpose some things in your life? I said, these are non negotiable. It's funny. I, you know, when I was a kid, I remember, here's what I remember, I honestly do. People saying, I'm not going to learn that metric system. They're selling fruit by the kilogram and gas by the liter. I, I don't, I'm never going to learn that. And some of you haven't, right? Daniel wasn't worried about that stuff. He said, I can learn the language. I can learn the culture. But I don't have to live like it. I don't have to fall prey to it. I can still stand for my God. But when it comes to things that God has forbidden, I will not cross that line. I will not bow the knee. I will honor and serve my God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not be careful to answer thee, O king. If you want to throw us in the fire, go ahead. Our God will take care of us. But if he doesn't, that's okay too. Daniel knew the decree was written when he went and prayed anyway. Knowing that if he were caught, if he were found out, he'd be cast into a den of lions. But it didn't matter because he had purposed some things in his heart that he said, I will never change. I will not compromise on these things. Would to God we'd have some of those tucked away in our hearts today.